0: to Behind the Stethoscope. This podcast here is a chance for our local physicians at the Royal Columbian Eagle Ridge Hospital and the community doctors in between to have a chance to connect with each other. Our show is an opportunity for you to get to know someone from our community beyond their day job. Our doctors come from varied backgrounds, specialties and experience, and they're here to share their stories of who they are behind the stethoscope. So today we're going to meet my friend, Dr. Gary Hayes, and we're going to explore the topic of physician burnout. Welcome, Gary.
1: Thank you very much, Joelle. Thanks for the invite.
0: So I'm so happy to have you here today. When we started the podcast, my colleagues and I were thinking, you know, it'd be really great to have someone on the show who's in a good place right now, but who's been through something like physician burnout and... I've approached a lot of colleagues, and people are interested to to share their stories, but you're the first one to say yes to come on the show, and I'm so appreciative.
1: Well, it could be because I like talking so much, but it could possibly be.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it makes you a a good candidate today. Thanks so much.
1: I think it's important, too, because, I mean, I've been at this for 41 years, basically, and... And uh, I think it's important for for the younger physicians in our community who are just starting maybe within the first five years of practice to, you know, sort of make some choices early so they don't get to a stage that some of us old fellows do. Um,
0: and did I hear you say 40, 41 years?
1: 41 years, graduated in 1978. So started practice here in 1980.
0: Um. What would you say if you found out I was born in 1978?
1: <laughs> it doesn't surprise me at all.
0: But if if people could see you, so we're here in my living room right now talking. Um, Gary and I are both redheads, and I, I think there's something with redheads not aging yeah. like other people. <laughs> like, I, I would honestly say you look like you're 55-ish, 60, mm-hmm. so.
1: Gee, thanks. I collect CPP this year. <laughs> So it's been a long time. I mean, you know, we've been at this for, for quite a while and gone through an awful lot. Medicine has changed immensely since uh, since I opened the doors in the general practice in 1980. I did two years of orthopedics first before I decided to become a general practitioner. And at the time I started here, it was quite different because uh, the, the billing numbers were an issue back then and there were opportunities to purchase a practice and the going rate then was one year's gross if you wanted to actually buy a retiring physician's practice i decided uh, not to do that I, i just hung a sign out on the door and waited for the phone to ring which i would never recommend anybody ever do again it just was a very long way back then there was enough doctors to service the community. So it wasn't easy to build a practice then, and interest rates on bank loans hit, I think they were 18.5% at the time. So, you know, eventually I had to make a deal with the bank and found a practice to join, and away we went. So it was quite different then. And, and one of the frustrations for me, as I'm sure it is with a lot of the older physicians looking to retire, is that uh, when we started, you had to actually look at purchasing a practice. Now our practice is worth nothing. As there was know. a point
0: where you could actually sell your practice as part of your retirement plan.
1: Right, exactly, and it was a big part of our retirement plan. But uh, these days, of course, uh, there's zero value to it because there's such a demand. A new physician just simply opens the door, and he'll be busy in three to six months. So
0: and, and have to close the door to exactly. all new patients.
1: Yeah, so you know that's been a bit of a frustration over the last ten or fifteen years, and adds to the sort of stress of of heading towards retirement. Um, I've been in Coquitlam basically the whole career time and, you know, I did very well, you know, marriage, a couple of gorgeous kids and, and, um, you know, my, my Some first wife didn't do well, um, married Deborah, my current wife, who's, a, an absolute beautiful woman and, and really supportive it's a couple of grandbabies that we've just had in the last few months. And, you know, so, so life has been going really, really well um as i approached the age of 60 which was sort of my target all along i had always thought that at age 60 i would retire you know and, and initially sell the practice for for what i could be worth but of course that didn't happen you know retirement plan you know investments all that sort of thing and just by the nature of the way things went i wasn't able to do that um and i sort of fell apart a little bit at age 60 you know i was working very hard as all of us do in the community we see 35 to 40 patients a day and, and generally you leave the house at 8 30 in the morning and if you're lucky you're home by 7 in the evening
0: with a pile of charts
1: no i always make a point that was one of the changes i made actually about 10 years ago i make sure that at the end of my day there's nothing left on my desk the desk is clear at the end of the day and it means I get home a little later each day. But uh, when I get home, I'm, I'm done with the office. So I get to have my evening to myself. Uh, when I made that decision was funnily enough about the time I also decided to stop doing obstetrics. Uh, my two kids at the time were very busy in a lot of sports and a lot of school activities. And I found I was missing far too much of that. So I sort of at, at that point uh, would have been about 15 years ago, I decided it was time to change that lifestyle. I didn't want to miss their their growth and their adolescence, so I stopped doing obstetrics and I made the change in the office that I wanted to make sure I didn't leave things stacking up, and that really helped. I was quite happy about that. We were able to spend more time as a family. When I hit 60, things uh, all of a sudden kind of hit me right in the head, and I realized that, wait a minute, as all of us set a goal, we like to be at that goal. And when you hit 60 and you're not retired, nowhere near it, you sort of say, what did I do wrong? Where did I fail at this? What what happened? And I just kind of looked at the treadmill I was on every day in the office, and I looked at um, my colleagues who were a bit younger and still going strong with their practice, and I was thinking, you know, this isn't working for me. This is not good. And oddly enough, uh, unbeknownst to me, people around me, as I find out now, started to notice a change. I was becoming less tolerant of things. Uh, when I, especially after we listened to the first podcast that you folks did a great job on, Deb sat down with me and she said, you know what, I'm going to tell you because I didn't tell you before, but you were an angry man then. And I sort of, hmm, that's very interesting way to put it, angry and intolerant. I found myself going to the office or would patients come in as we all have some that are Not our favorite patients, you know, there's not a lot you can do for them, but they keep coming in asking for help and complaining. And I was just getting the point where I, you know, just go home and don't bother me, you know, just things you don't say, but you might want to say. And just, you know, getting a little bit less tolerant of things that went wrong in the office, getting a little sharper with some patients and, you know, got to the point where I was almost wondering, did I miss something with that last patient? Never got to the point where I was worried that I I was doing things wrong in the office. I was just getting angry about it. I was intolerant. I was angry. And it started to flow into the home. You know, I was getting angrier, little things at home that shouldn't be angry.
0: And Gary, can I ask you, how long ago was this?
1: This would have been, well, as I mentioned, I'm 65 this year. So this would have been five years ago. Okay. When it it really started to change.
0: Because I'm putting this in the context of... I think I've known you for five to 10 years,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I don't know how or where we met, but probably through the divisions of family practice, and, mm-hmm. and I've always known you as this guy that walks into the room with a big smile on his face and lots of stories and laughing, and, and so I don't see you all that often, mm-hmm. but I definitely miss this part, and I, I kind of can't imagine it, Yeah. but either you hit it or um, I just didn't get to see you enough. So I apologize for interrupting. I just wanted some context. for You
1: interrupt anytime you want. But you and I met at the very first uh, steering committee meeting for MDs for Wellness. Okay. It wasn't called MDs for Wellness then.
0: Oh, yeah, Physicians Advocating Wellness.
1: Something like that. Yes. And that's where you and I originally met. Okay. And so we've known each other through the whole MDs for Wellness thing. Um, I was originally on the steering committee for a couple of years, and then I backed out partly because I was busy doing some other things and I didn't feel I could benefit the steering committee enough that I would be better off organizing things. So like, if you want to do an event, I'll help you organize that.
0: Yeah. Like, for example, in September, we did that great wine event mm-hmm. at, uh,
1: Pacific Breeze Yeah, in New Westminster. Westminster. Yeah, yeah. It's such a good turnout. Yeah. We're going to do more of those.
0: Yes. <laughs> Stay tuned.
1: Yeah. So it, um, I found myself in in outside of the office, like I have, my passions, as you can tell from my email, is wine and golf. And I found myself uh, getting much angrier at golf. The partners that I play with were sort of starting to notice and make comments. You know, you're not that good to get that angry. You know, <laughs> and you know I, was, I would make a shot that wouldn't be that bad, and I'd be upset for two or three holes. And it just really got to the point where I was. Almost getting me not a nice person to be around, you know, to being less tolerant at the office, angrier in my personal life, to the point where um, one of my colleagues, um, uh, an emergency physician that we know very well, very good friend of mine, after a particularly um, bothersome golf match, uh, he sort of took me aside after and he said, "Okay, I don't know what's going on, but that's enough. You got to change this. You're." You're angry, you, you shouldn't be this angry, you put on a good face in front of everybody, but what we're seeing is not good. You should look at yourself and figure out what's going on and try and do something about it. And that kind of slapped me in the head, actually. I realized, whoa, okay, this is, this is not good. I had never considered myself to be burned out, but in talking to him and another colleague a little bit further, I would say I was as close as anybody could possibly get without actually running straight into the wall, but that wall was coming really close to me. And, and you only
0: know this now in retrospect.
1: Exactly, very much so. And interestingly, um, that would have happened about two and a half or a year, year and a half ago. And at the same time, the uh, MBSR was offered, the Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Program.
0: Yeah, the eight-week course. Right,
1: with Dr. Gupta. And, um, you know, my buddy said, why don't you sign up? I'm going to go. It sounds like a great thing. And I realized then that I did not want to retire as one of those angry, burnt out, uh, no interest whatsoever physicians that, that we know are out there. So I signed up for this course. And, and, you know, I must say it was probably in 41 years the best course I've ever taken. And it had nothing to do with the science of medicine. It just totally taught me how to relax, how to get back to being myself, how to enjoy the good things in life that we have. And, you know, it just made a complete change in myself and my golf game got better, (laughs) which was a bonus that that I thought was excellent. And since then, although I don't do the, um, the relaxation program as often as I would like. There are ways in every given day at the office you can take a a pause for a few seconds and and do a couple of mindful breaths and just sort of, if you feel yourself getting wound up at the office, you can just sit back for 30 seconds, take a couple of breaths, and okay, we're back at it, and away we go. And the office has noticed a change. Certainly my wife has noticed a dramatic change. So I think for myself, I was very glad that I had... um, a good friend sort of make me realize where I was at and where I was heading and that I had the knowledge and courage to, to change it.
0: Interestingly, that, that good friend, I I think many of our listeners would know Mm -hmm. is uh, Peter McDonald. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm very appreciative that he kept up with you like as a friend, even though you weren't yourself like this angriness that you had and he, he kept up with you and knew that like, that's, that's not Gary. And, he had the confidence or compassion, mm-hmm. like to take you aside and and share his um, what he's seeing with you. Mm-hmm. So thank you, Peter.
1: Yeah, yes, I've thanked Peter a few times for that. It's yeah. uh, it's good that when you have friends that can call you on things that you're doing. But I think, as we all agree, as physicians, we fix people. We're healers. We're the the ultimate end people for somebody who's in trouble so we don't want to admit that we're in trouble ourselves mm-hmm. the last thing i think any physician will do is say help me you know i'm in trouble here sure if we get a physical ailment we'll obviously go get help but when you're going down that road whereby it just is looking bleak and and you're just not enjoying it not having fun anymore um certainly not to the point where you endanger your your patients because i don't think any of us would let that happen. But once you're finished with your patients and you go home, you know, physicians do not want to admit that they need help. They, they, I would think would be very reluctant to tell anybody, you know, I I think I'm in trouble here. I'm really not having fun here. And I think I need some help.
0: I often will share with my colleagues when we're talking about physician wellness is that those qualities that got us into med school, like being a workaholic and being a perfectionist, and being a Lone Ranger and always getting it done, always putting your patient first, like those are what make you a superstar resident and make you a quote unquote great doctor. And they are what can drive you into the ground because you can't live your life like that. Mm-hmm. And, and always having to keep your emotions kind of behind closed doors and because um, a doctor is not supposed to have their own feelings.
1: Right. But there's things we can do to to change that. And one of the, uh, it's an odd thing that I always come back to, but I remember on, uh, I just happened to be flipping through the television channels I get probably about three years ago. And I I don't know if you know that every day Bell Media sponsors a Let's Talk Day on mental health.
0: I've heard of it, yep.
1: And I just happened to be flipping and they had a one-hour episode, a talk session with, uh, Howie Mandel and his son. And Howie Mandel is a, is a Canadian comedian who is hugely successful and, you know, has known the world over for his comedy routines. And he was sitting there with his son who at the time was around 20. And I had no idea that Howie Mandel, everybody knows he's a bit of a germaphobe, but I had no idea the extent of his mental illness problem. And he flat out told the whole story. And he constantly kept back to the thing, talk about it. Let's talk. He said, I was, I was in, in a very dark place, and somebody made me talk about it. And I tell everybody now, talk about it. If you're in trouble or you got a concern, let's talk. Talk about it, which is the whole bell thing. But his whole thing and his son... Who was sitting beside him was you know said yeah i was you know i was worried about my dad i thought he was going to hurt me i thought he was going to hurt myself and all of a sudden he started talking to us about it and i had no idea and now our relationship is great i've got a fabulous dad and we love each other and we do things together and it's all because he opened up and talked about it and again i think as physicians we don't talk enough about things that bother us we talk about cases. We talk about a bad case. What would you do with this? You know, what should I order? What Who should I send this person to? But we never say, you know what, guys, I'm just not doing well right now.
0: Which makes me so appreciative that you're here. Um, it was a kind of funny story how we ran into each other most recently to <laughs> set up the opportunity for this show. Um, I was coming off a evening shift at the hospital, and I walked out at nine thirty at night. And Gary Hayes, who I, I see about twice a year, is standing there at 9.30 at night, staring up at the air ambulance that's landing on the top of the hospital. And I thought, what are you doing here? And um, it so happened that your, your daughter had just broke her water and was brought to RCH for delivering your grandbaby. Right. Yeah. And I had shared with you at that time that we have this podcast going on and our I was so fortunate to run into you because I've been meaning to talk to you because I have been looking for a physician who's in a good place right now, who's been through burnout. And I know lots of these people, but no one was willing to talk. Mm-hmm. And and you had a great big smile on your face and say, and you said to me, when and where? And yeah. so it's um, just amazing to have you here. And so I guess I have Peter McDonald to thank for him helping you and Howie Mandel yeah. <laughs> to thank for inspiring you to be so open with us today.
1: Mm-hmm. One of the things that I think that, um, that we need to remember too, is that as physicians, you know, we generally all do well in our profession. Um, uh, you know, we're always held in high esteem in the community. Um, you know, patients are generally very appreciative and what we do and what we work for all our life is, is very, very good. I mean, it's an enemy, as Peter Beresford once told me on the golf course, that, that he was so proud to be a physician because there is no other profession in the world where you can be that much a part of people's lives for a very long time and make a difference in people's lives. And he just was so humble at the time. And I think as physicians, we all would agree with that. So we have to remember that well, there's a lot of really good things in our lives, things that are good. We can't let our, our dark side start to overshadow that. You know, we all uh, do well in our lives. We all generally can go on vacations. You know, we live in nice houses. Uh, we got really good families for the most part, good friends, um, nice wine cellar in some of our cases. Um, you know, you can go on a nice vacation to to Hawaii when you want, and nice cabin uh, on the lake if you want. And, and you know, we generally all do well. Our, you know, my life when I look back on it has been fabulous. I've been, you know, very fortunate with um, with my wife, my kids, um, and our lifestyle. And I'm I'm really glad that I was able to be shown where i was heading and be able to stop it before it got out of hand you know i just think that's so important that we remember that we actually have a very good life here and even right now since since i sort of made the turnaround you know i love getting up every morning you know I, i like i look forward to playing golf and and sharing wine experiences travel with our friends and family it's you know i've brought that perspective back simply by talking to people about it. And I think that's so important.
0: Gary, I wonder if you might be able to share with us um, on one of the more worst days that you remember, what it was like to wake up in the morning, get yourself out the door and be at work. What was that like for you and what did it look
1: like? I think probably it's an interesting question when when I I think back, because again, we try and not remember the bad days, right? We always remember the good days. Um, but I do actually, funny, I for some reason remember a, a day I'd been having a, one of those busy weeks, you know, a couple of bad diagnoses on, on patients that I've known for quite a long time that never sit well with us, they always make you, you feel bad. And I, I remember getting up this morning because I always checked my day sheet for the day before, and there were two patients on the day sheet that were you know, patients that basically are chronic complainers that, you know, there's nothing wrong and all you do is pat them on the back and make sure you're not missing anything and and off they go happy. And I was thinking that morning, oh my God, you know, I I just, you know, I'd rather just phone in sick. I remember saying to myself, I was a working guy, I'd just phone in sick and say I got a cold, going to stay home. But of course we can't do that. So, you know, you get up, have a coffee, a bit of breakfast and off you go and, You know, you just dread. Well, of course, those patients are coming in, and you know when they're coming. So you're, you know, you're in a foul mood with the patients before that. Yeah, yeah, and you just kind of you just want to get through that day, and you know, you're kind of find yourself asking patients to repeat them themselves their question or answer because you're not paying attention because you're worried about these other patients, and it just you know at the end of that day you know, you get through the day, of course, I sort of said to myself, well, that's, that's not right. I mean, that's not fair for, for any of my patients, even the two that, that I was worried about, you know, that I realized to myself that that's not good. That, you know, that was at a point where I sort of started to hint to myself, well, am I doing something wrong? You know, should I, you know, what's that all about? But, you know, you go home and have dinner and everything's fine after that. So, that was one day that I remember, what are you doing? I said to myself, what are you doing? Like, you always have fun. I always love going to work. I mean, what we do, we all enjoy it most of the time. And I'm thinking, you know, if you're not having fun doing this, maybe you should look at changing something. Do I need more time off? Do I need to back off the, the hours in the office? Do I need to see less patients? I started thinking to myself, hmm. But I think the whole thing was, was just the attitude was wrong.
0: And how did you move forward from there? What did you do next?
1: That day that I'm thinking about actually happened at the same time I was mentioning before that I was sort of not being a very nice person to a lot of people. So, you know, it wasn't long after that, that, that Pete had a chat with me and, and you know, the course came up and, and I started to readjust my whole thinking about things. And I realized, as I mentioned, that I had a retirement plan. I realized that wasn't gonna happen. I was probably gonna have to work another 10 years and, you know, I'm I always laugh it off now and say, well, what am I going to do if I retire? You can only play so much golf, right? So, you know, so I sort of readjusted the, the goal and I set a new goal. And I think that was important too. If, if you miss one, well, okay, let's set a new goal and get back on track. So I handled it by sort of realizing where I was, making a couple of changes and resetting my goals. And again, talking to people. Talking to people really helped turn my attitude around. And, you know, that's one thing that I can't express enough to people. As, as physicians, we're, we're closed, we're tight. We're, 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 we're physicians, for heaven's sakes. Physician, heal thyself. How many times have we heard that? That is very bad advice. That is horrible advice, <laughs> whoever came up with that. So, so you know, I say again, we, we have to open up to our, our best friends and colleagues and spouses if we think we're not feeling well. And for heaven's sakes, if, if if anybody listening to this podcast has a close friend or a close colleague who you think might be getting into trouble this way, speak up, you know, take them aside, take them for coffee, take them for lunch or something and say, you know, I've noticed lately this, this and this. Is there anything bothering you? Is there anything I can do to help? Can Is there anything that you're worried about? You know, let's talk. Let's see what happens. And a lot of physicians may say, no, 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 I'm fine. Well, maybe it's too early. Maybe it's not the right time for them. But for me, it just happened to hit at exactly the right time. And I sort of went, whoa, okay, time to change. So not only should we talk when we're feeling bad, I think if you see a friend that's not doing well, speak up. Important, very important.
0: Something I think of as well that was probably potentially quite protective for you is you seem to have a good group of guy friends that you've kept up with through through the years. And that seems really important. Like if a physician is so wrapped up, let's say in work, and then it's hard to keep up with family. And, and I often laugh about the vacation because I find this is only for me. But when I have a vacation... Um, the planning for it and the packing and the getting out the door and finishing up your call duties. And then when you get back, you're, you're crazy busy again. Like I actually, for me, I, I enjoy being on vacation, but I find vacation stressful the way um, you have to organize your work around it. And so what I was going to say is I think it's really important for physicians to reassess where they're at. Are they keeping a group of friends like and uh, maintaining some friendships? Cause I think that's so protective. Cause imagine you know, if you didn't have your golf guys and you were just wallowing in this on your own.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, uh, that is, uh, I agree completely, Joel. that it is important to have a good close circle of friends who, who you can lean on when you need them and who you can discuss things with in total confidence and not worry that it's going to show up on Facebook in a couple hours. Right. You know, that's really important. And um, I think the, another thing too for a lot of physicians is to maintain hobbies. Like I know of uh, a few people that I've met over the years that have no interests outside of medicine. They, you know, I say, well, what do you do when you, when you go home on the weekend? Well, you know, I cut the lawn. I, I do some homework, housework and things like that. I think you need to have a hobby. Like I do. Uh, and what I've been getting into more in the last couple of years is wine education. The events like the um, one at Pacific breeze. I do a lot of wine events at, uh, at our golf club. I recently hosted one at the Vancouver club. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I sort of put the word out that I'm happy to do these things and it's, it's exciting. It's something that I really look forward to, and it's totally opposite to medicine. I should come up with a a podcast on wine and health maybe. No, (laughs) But no, I think it's important too, to have an interest that's just not connected to medicine at all. That's really helpful. You know, and that can be different for anybody. It could be gardening. You know, I, I learned something tonight about ground cover. I appreciate that advice from you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's important too, to have outside interests like that, and it might be travel, it uh, might be something, and if you have to adjust your office schedule, so be it, you know.
0: And another thing I see for myself, and I, I see it with you, is contribution. So, you know, we do the fun things we do work. And then is there a way that you can give a little bit of yourself? So you teaching wine and just sharing a passion and teaching and um, the event that you set up for, I think it was like 20 of our colleagues with MDs for wellness in September, you and Joe Haggart just put it together and you organize the night and it's kind of a little bit of volunteerism. And then you create part of our community and I find there's like this ripple effect with MDs for wellness. People come out to an event and they, they meet someone they didn't know before, like a GP and a specialist will finally meet eyes and know what each other looks like. And, and you just have a bit of a connection now where previously that was maybe had in the physician lounge, which doesn't really exist anymore. And so these events allow physicians to meet each other, maybe form a little bit of a a friendship and a connection and down the road, just the way of us looking out for each other. And so I, I bring it back to just the fact that you spent some time making an event and giving your time to build our, our community and our connections. Mm-hmm. So the, the giving part is, is another part that I think is really good for our wellness.
1: Yes, very much so. And, and I agree with exactly what you said. When we started at the Royal Columbia and you saw everybody every day, you went and did your rounds in the hospital and we sat in the physician's lounge and, you know, caught up on the social situation and that's all long gone. And, you know, we don't, I I go to an event at the division, uh, a dinner or a CME event. And I look around the room and except for four or five other old guys like me, I don't know anybody in that room anymore. And that's, that's not good. I think those events, wellness events, the division events, I think the GPs in the community are getting a lot more support just in the last three or four years, and that's amazing. That That needs to continue. That needs to get better. And I agree with you, because physicians a lot of times these days feel alone in the community because there isn't that contact. Our contact with all of our specialists are electronic through consultations and letters back, very seldom to actually talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. So I think it, you're absolutely right to have events like this and, and get the people to try and go out to them, yep. you know, and support them and meet the other people in the community and realize, no, we're mm-hmm. not alone out, out here. There is still a community of physicians, GPs and specialists, and it's very much alive. So let's go enjoy it.
0: And, and I always tell my colleagues, these, these events are happening. And one day, something's got to suit your interest and your schedule, and you got to come out and put some effort into meeting meeting your colleagues. This podcast, actually, has been a really great medium to start connecting the physicians that feel they're truly, truly too busy to get out to an event, and now they're able to meet each other, and they're meeting you tonight, and Mm -hmm. I'll put some pictures up on Instagram so they can get a face to the name,
1: (laughs) so... Without a wine glass in my hand, nobody will recognize me. (laughs) No, that is important. It's, uh, it's good to see these things happening again. It's, it's sort of interesting to me because we started that way as a very tight community and then we lost that. And now as I'm sort of getting towards the end of my career, it's coming back. And I think that, that what's old is now new again. And that's so important. Like it's just getting to be, it's getting to be fun again to be a, a physician in the community in the Fraser Northwest. Oh, right on. Yeah. Very good. We're liking it a lot.
0: Gary, I have a question for you. I don't know if you um, work with any new physicians or residents at all.
1: Yes, no. I do.
0: <laughs> and what's your perspective on their management of wellness and burnout and... What have you
1: seen? Um, uh, excellent point. I, we sort of mentioned that earlier in the podcast, but, uh, I do teach first and second year med students, and we also have first year and second year residents, uh, in our office, myself and Dr. Herb Chang sort of split duties with residents right now. We have four, we have two R1s and two R2s in, in our office. Um, we also do remediation for our residents in the program who aren't doing so well. Herb and I, for some reason, have have become a bit of a, uh, can you help this resident? So the young ones that come out, first of all, they're always stunned when I tell them that this family I've been looking after for 36 years. Oh, by the way, how old are you? I'm only 28. So they're very impressed with that, the fact that I've been looking after patients longer than they've been alive. Um, So they sort of look at you as, as a grandfatherly figure, but the youngsters today definitely are are better in tune with work-life balance, the so-called work-life thing. And, you know, I think that's why we're seeing a bit of a problem with young doctors going into full-service general practice because a lot of them want to be not have the responsibility of hiring staff and paying the phone bill and negotiating leases and things. They'd like to come in, see their patients, and go home be able to take vacation whenever they want so definitely i think the young people although they're knowledgeable and will make excellent physicians are far more um looking forward to spending more time doing things they really enjoy outside of medicine than we ever did
0: so some of the things they're they're doing right is they're being mindful maybe not to overcommit and and not to take on all the business side and and maybe get into a practice where it's turnkey and and then being mindful of how many days and how many hours they're working. So there's some things that they're doing right for their own wellness and anything else you think they're doing right? Have you learned anything from them?
1: I think that's the main thing I've learned from them is to, you know, not commit 12 hours a day to the practice of medicine, to share that duty. A lot of them are looking forward to sharing practices, you know, even to the point of two people sharing a full-time practice, each doing a half-time. So, you know, it's a different world. unfortunately, get uh, the
0: continuity and the support.
1: Right. And I think this the push for patient uh, medical homes and primary care networking is probably going to tie right into that. It'll make a big difference because then right now it's tough for a GP to go away for any length of time because it's hard getting locums to fill in. Uh, there are getting to be a few more each year with the graduating residents, but with the new crew coming out, sharing practices, I think they're finding it'll be a lot easier to get coverage for their practice and go away, which is gonna help a lot too. On top of that, the um, compensation models are getting way better than they were 10 years ago. So there's not so much of a monetary push to work harder. You know, some of the incentive programs that are being offered for general practice now, I think are really helping the, the younger physicians realize their work-life balance easier
0: now on the flip side have you seen anything with the younger physicians that kind of worry you um with how they practice or how they approach things because you've got 41 years behind you now is there anything that you worry
1: well it's 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 not really a worry because i mean the huge difference is as they're so young and new to medicine there's a lot of um technology involved like it's it's amazing to me that i think in the last five years and all the residents and medical students we've had through our office one of them actually owned a textbook (laughs) everybody else their entire medical education is on their cell phone or their laptop that they bring to the office and that just stuns me i still got harrison's principles internal medicine in my back room so the technology is amazing and they will be dealing with a patient they'll pull up a an up-to-date file on their cell phone and say, oh, okay, this is what we do, this is the treatment, here's the dosage, and there you go, Mrs. Smith, I'll give you this prescription. So the one thing that worries me is that they sometimes seem to be too tied up in the technology and forget that there's a patient, a live person sitting there who's worried about their health, and we need that eye contact. You can't be staring at your screen or your phone all the time. I say to my residents all the time, you know, eye contact is so important. You you need to sit down and look at your patient and listen to them, listen to what they're saying. Patients will teach you so much more than a lot of textbooks ever will.
0: And th- there's a lot of your therapeutic uh, ability is in the fact that you actually heard them and you responded and you picked up all those other little cues. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Something that I might worry about probably especially younger family physicians is they would be afraid to commit to a practice and commit to a group of patients. And so maybe they're doing walk-in and now there's these programs where you can have a physician and you can book an appointment online with them and you can have this Skype visit with this physician, which is super convenient. But I don't imagine you get the same physician every time in the same patient-physician relationship building. And that worries me for... patients in our community and it also worries me for as a physician if if all you're doing is this one-off care and you you never get to meet the person and see the effects and the success and and the sadness down the road like you miss out on what it is to be a physician and and I I would think that's going to be really hard to commit to a practice like that for 40 years where you're just having one-off visits with with people Mm -hmm. if you aren't able to commit to at
1: least a group of patients, but right and yeah, telemedicine I'm, I'm sure is going to be huge down the road just because the that's the way society is going. We're electronic now, but you know those uh, physicians who get involved in that will never know what it means to sit in a room with four generations of one family, right You've got great grandma, you've got grandma, you've got mom and you've got the new baby, and it's you know that's a feeling that, that you'll never get through electronics yeah. and I think the, the young physicians these days who are starting to build practice uh, may be able to develop that. And I'm happy to say that in the last couple of years, we are getting a sense from the young residents coming out of our program, that more of them are looking to go into the community and start practice. I would say five years ago, virtually all of them went to walk-in clinics, hospitalist programs, surgical assist, or moved to the States you know, and and very few of them stayed in our community. I think the last two or three years, I've I've noticed a significant change in that. And I'm hoping that continues. And I think part of that is due to, particularly in our Fraser Northwest Division, the support that is being given to community GPs. And people are realizing, hey, you know, this is an actual community. This is a good place to work. And we've got people like you who are so keen on physician wellness. And and that's why I was so excited to do this tonight with you, just to, to make people realize that, okay, you're not alone out there. If you're thinking that things aren't going well, you know, we can help that.
0: Yeah. And that, that probably, um, brings us to a, a good place right now talking about if one of our colleagues out there is feeling that they're in trouble or that a colleague's in trouble, what, what are the options for them to get some kind of help and, I would hope that many of our members in our audience that live in the Fraser Northwest area are a part of MDs for Wellness and and are trying to build some relationships. One of the things if someone's in in a lot of trouble, there's the, or it doesn't have to be a lot of trouble, but the physician health program downtown, they have counselors, life coaches, and psychologists and psychiatrists who are able to help people with taking a new look at where they're at and, and some solutions that they can they can enact in their practice because when I think of you it doesn't sound like your practice has changed all that much but you've come up with a lot of new skills and um, outlooks on how you're practicing day-to-day and then other physicians might have access maybe through a spouse to a different employee's assistance program or something Mm
1: -hmm. yeah and, and physicians as I alluded to earlier I think are great actors in public like you mentioned that that i would walk into a room and be smiling and happy and laughing and stuff and and i think most physicians feel they have to be that way in front of their patients you know nobody wants to go and see a doctor who's grumpy and foul-mouthed and and down in the dumps all the time so physicians i think in general are are good actors but you know they have to understand that if they're not feeling um up to it and, and you think you are heading down a road that, that you're not alone. There's, I would, I would bet that, that and I'm hoping that by coming out with this story from, from an older physician like, like me is going to make some people say, gee, I'm not alone. I, I, I can talk to somebody. I'm, I'm going to do something about this, you know? And, and I think there's a lot of more physicians than we think that are, that are heading towards that wall as I might've been. And again, there's lots of help, as you just mentioned. I think the number one help is, as I've said a few times already tonight, talk about it. Don't hold it in. Don't keep it to yourself. Because that's going to hurt eventually. You need to talk to somebody about it. Even if you talk to the mirror, you know, talk to somebody about it.
0: Yeah. I've actually had a few colleagues of mine over at EcoRidge who've volunteered to put their names out for their colleagues that if if you are running into trouble and, and you're... Sensing burnout, call me and uh, my colleague, Dr. Warnabolt has put her name out and Dr. Shiro Sumar. And um, I'm, I'm always available if people need an ear and, and I would imagine you'd be a great resource for, mm-hmm. for your I'd friends and colleagues. To. I'd be happy to. Yeah, because it's okay to talk about it and we can be confidential and just give you a sounding board.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's not only okay to talk about it, Joel. it's essential. To talk about it don't hold back, don't hold it in you know and and, and when you when you see that you're heading for some place that that you don't want to be, then change it We're all strong enough all every physician out there is strong enough to make a change
0: yeah and and the fallout is uh, it can be devastating like mm-hmm. people's marriages can fall apart um depression, substance abuse mm-hmm. and and suicide
1: oh yeah um, very much so.
0: So looking at your, a good day in the last couple months, as compared to one of the darker days um, in the previous year, what does it look like for you now on a work day? If you could describe it like you'd describe a beautiful glass of Merlot.
1: (laughs) With a fine bouquet of blueberries and lead pencil. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um,
0: What does your day look like and smell like?
1: Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's interesting because uh, it's an interesting question. How would I describe a day? I've always wanted to be a physician. I actually decided in grade eight, I saw an old movie on TV called The Young Interns. I always remember looking at my mom and saying, mom, do you think I could do that? And she said, son, you can do anything you want. So from grade eight on, I just put the blinders on and away I went. And I always loved practicing medicine no matter what I did. And looking back on it, I, I was I was sad because I was losing that enjoyment. But in the last uh, year and a half or so, I mean, I I love going to work again. I like getting up in the morning and, and especially on a sunny day like this, even if it's, if it's raining. I got great staff in my office, some of the best I've ever worked with. And they're fun to work with. My two colleagues are excellent and it's just you know, I turn my thinking around to like, this is what I do. This is what I've trained for so long to do. And I'm helping people. I really do enjoy my patients and it's just, I, I, it's fun again. It's fun to go to work and I, I love doing it. I love helping everybody there. And, you know, there's certainly some aromas we could describe as, <laughs> as I'm sure you know. But we and the uh, visual sights can sometimes be interesting, but, uh, you know, like a fine glass of wine. It's just, you got to have fun with it. And that's, to me, the, that I'm very much glad that I was able to turn that around and get the enjoyment back into what I do. And also look forward to, I I don't hesitate anymore. If somebody says, hey, do you want to take Thursday off and do this? Yep, sure, let's do it. You know, patients will be there on Monday when I come back. So, you know, I just, I no longer avoid doing things because "Ah, I can't, you know, I got, too many patients and, you know, bills to pay and that. No, that attitude is long gone. You know, just uh, uh, work will be there when we get back. So, yeah, it's just the days these days are like today, bright sunshine, and, and it's just fun again. Mm-hmm. I love it.
0: Well, I really thank you for coming on the show and being so open with us today. I i am going to take this time here just to go ahead and, and wrap it up. Mm-hmm. I really want to thank you, our guest today, Gary Hayes. Uh, I'm also going to thank our producer and sound engineer, who's Rob Maloney. We are very grateful for the funding that we've received from our local facilities engagement that was provided through the Doctors of BC. And of course, we're so thankful for our listeners tuning into the show today. If you like our show, please tell your colleagues about it. If you want to connect with us, we have an email at stethoscope at yahoo.com. You can also find us on Instagram, and you can meet Gary and I there in, in the next day or so. I'll have some photos up. And lastly, if you want our show to continue, I do want to put a request out there that anyone who has an interest in supporting our show could consider giving a donation to the Behind the Stethoscope podcast. It's very easy to do. Just go on to the RCH Foundation website, which is www.rchfoundation.com, and put in a donation of your choice, and there will be a little area where you can specify that you'd like it to go towards the podcast fund. So everyone, thank you for listening, and until next time, I'm Joelle Bradley.